0: The Canucks begin their final five games of the season with a tough test tonight in Minnesota. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who, of course, also covers the team at the Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, visit avenuemachinery.ca. Another Canucks game day. Drants are only five game days left, including this one, in the regular season. Canucks in Minnesota puck drop at 5 o'clock tonight. And I think really the headline for me in this one is the Canucks are back in... Win this just to make the next game count mode, right? Before we get in- into any other, okay, if they win out, what could happen? If 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 uh, LA and Dallas lose tonight, what could that mean? Fundamentally, to borrow one of your favorite words, it's win tonight <laughs> to make that game on Saturday against Calgary still mean something. Still feel like a big game day for your players and your fans.
1: Yeah, which is not different from the mode they've been in for a while now. I mean, this game only matters at all because of how they've performed over their last 10. They have 14 points in their last 10 games. Uh, You know, they have a point in every game they've played in the month of April. Uh, That has permitted them to have, you know, some chance, some life, some juice going into a key game against an elite opponent in St. Paul. And the Wild are, make no mistake, an elite team. In fact, I'm beginning to think that they've reached the level where i think they might have the gear required to be a real threat out west. I'm not saying they're the Colorado Avalanche, right? Don't get me wrong. But the Colorado Avalanche are a different animal entirely than everyone else in the Western Field. Do they have as much juice as a Vegas, as a St. Louis? I think they have more. I think they pr- they probably are at this point for me the third best team in the West behind only Calgary and Colorado. A team that could do serious damage. They're big. They're hard to play against. Really deep on the back end, and they are playing the sort of you know luck-proof hockey I like to talk about. Fifty-five percent share of expected goals over the course of their last ten games. Big reason why they've only lost once in regulation, uh, you know, dating back to the trade deadline. Basically, um, Cam Talbot making his second start tonight. They are a heavy favorite on the money line. Like the Canucks are plus. Uh, two twenty four on the money line that 's a significant underdog we 've sort of seen the Canucks get more and more respect from Vegas as it goes, but not against the wild. That tells you what the market. Uh, how the market rates Minnesota right now. They see them as one of those, you know, rare, trustworthy, elite teams in hockey. It's a big one. This is a big one and and more than a tough test. This is a, you know, do or die game against an elite opponent that still has something to play for as the Wild are tied in points with the St. Louis Blues. The Blues have owned them this season. They don't want to play on the road to open the playoffs. I'd expect a pretty hungry Wild team tonight, and that's you know that could be bad news That's for dangerous a nice team playing their third game in four nights right yeah. uh demco also playing his third game in four nights um yeah it's uh it's a uh... It's a big ask tonight for a team whose playoff life is, you know, on the line
0: here. Yeah, that could be key to what you mentioned about Minnesota still fighting for seeding with St. Louis, right? Trying to make sure that they can get home ice advantage in that basically locked in uh, first round playoff series between the two divisional rivals. Because this is not a case where the much better team, the team farther up the standings, is just coasting uh, with a handful of games left going into the playoffs. They still very much want to get the full two points Out of this game, as I mentioned, puck drop is at 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, Satya, Arshad, Dan Riccio, have your pregame starting at 4. Batch and Hershey with the call, as always. And it's Sat and Reach on the intermission and postgame coverage as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dumbarlumber.com. And I do want to, uh, I got to get a mention of this in, Drancer, because we have been following our kind of hypothetical baseball analogy for the Canucks playoff chances all week right now uh, after a conversation we had on Monday. And the kind of, the analogy we settled on was down two going into the bottom of the ninth. That's roughly where their chances stood uh, at the beginning of the week. And I think yesterday I said it was, okay, now it's two outs, but you have a runner on third, something like that. And I do got to give a shout out to the Blue Jays and the Red Sox for basically perfectly dramatizing that baseball analogy today. And if you uh, if you have access to our Dunbar Lumber text line, you'll see it's just overflowing with people thrilled that we were playing the Blue Jays game earlier today. But if you missed it, the Red Sox down three, going into the bottom of the ninth inning. So very similar to what we're talking about. They end up getting to within run. They have the tying run on third, but they just run out of outs at the end of the game, and the Jays are able to clinch it 3 2. And that's still kind of where I feel like we're headed. And hey, still a bunch of hockey left to be played. We'll see how the results of tonight's game go. All of that, tonight's games, I should say, around the NHL as well. But it does still feel like a situation where uh, it's going to play out pretty similarly to what we saw at Fenway today, where. The Canucks, the team doing the chasing, might just run out of outs uh, at the end when all is said and done. I, I also wanted to just put this out there, 650-650. I, I want to hear from the listeners, from the Canucks fans, what their predictions are for tonight's game. Because this is, this is a really interesting one for me. As you said... Minnesota is a very challenging opponent. Like this is a legit team that feels like it's primed with all of the pieces they have and the balance and everything. You can go down uh, up and down their roster and, and find things to like about them. It feels like they're primed to potentially go in a deep playoff run. And my gut, just looking at this game and looking at how the Canucks lost in overtime in the shootout against Ottawa on Tuesday, my gut says that could be the loss that kind of takes the wind out of this team's sails. And we might end up seeing kind of a crash tonight against a very, very good opponent on the road in Minnesota. But as much as that's kind of my first reaction and and what I, yeah, as I said, my gut or my initial take on the game, I also know that the Canucks have thrown a ton of curveballs at us this year. So I'm also fully prepared for them to surprise me again tonight. I don't know if maybe if I'm fully prepared for a surprise that makes it not actually a surprise, but I guess what I'm trying to say is all the evidence I would think nor- uh, normally points to they're in really tough tonight, but this team has shown that sometimes when you think they're in the absolute toughest is when they surprise you with a really good result. 650 650. Uh, I want to hear from the listeners what they're thinking going into tonight to tonight. But what do you make of my read on the situation tonight, Drance? I, I
1: think the Canucks are in really tough tonight. I think the Wild are, you know, the, the worst possible opponent to face at this type of year. An elite team that needs to win the game too, right? And that's the worst type of opponent you could possibly face. Um, you know, Cam Talbot's going to be hungry because this is his chance to cement his start for, you know, game one of the playoffs. It's the first time that since the Wild acquired Marc-Andre Fleury that they're going back-to-back starts with the same netminder. Um, you know, you're going to have a really hungry, wild team tonight. And so I think this is a really tough opponent for Vancouver. Now, all of that said, if you want some good news, here's the good news. The implied probability, right, the, the Vegas odds on Dallas are even longer than they are on the Canucks tonight. Vegas does not like Dallas <laughs> to win the second leg of a back-to-back game. Nope. In Calgary tonight, they are getting deeply skeptical of the stars. Um, clearly, because Vegas opened at like plus two six three, I think it's settled down a bit. Uh, the the markets have moved a little bit since they opened. I think uh, you're not getting three to one money anymore on the stars, but you're getting pretty pretty close to it if you go to play now. Uh, as for the other game, because it's almost like. The night itself will not be based solely off of how Vancouver does, right? There's three games that we'll be tracking tonight and that all Canucks fans, I'd assume, will be tracking tonight because all of them matter equally to Vancouver, right? I mean, obviously, Vancouver needs to win, right? Vancouver needs to win, period. It doesn't matter hugely if they pick up a point versus losing outright, right? Like, but what really matters is the Vancouver gets two points tonight. That's key. That's non-negotiable. You need that for your next game to matter or to up your odds at all. So that's the non-negotiable. But then you've got this Dallas-Calgary game that's going to resonate significantly for the Canucks. The Dallas Stars have now lost two in a row, including the game they lost in Vancouver. They're looking bad. They're looking like the <laughs> Dallas Stars. Pretty average. They're looking pretty average, Jamie. They're not very good on the road, right? Um, So the Dallas Stars are leaving the door open. Unfortunately, they're leaving the door open to more than just Vancouver as as Vegas pulled out, uh, you know, a big comeback win last night over the Washington Capitals in overtime. And then you've got the Los Angeles Kings and the Chicago Blackhawks in L.A., and the Kings opened at, like, minus 200. (laughs) They're big favorites over a Blackhawks team that cannot, cannot keep the puck out of their net. So... Um, those are the three games that all matter and they all matter for Vancouver, right? Uh, two points. You need two points. That's non-negotiable, but then you also need help at this point. Uh, the star things are the two teams ensconced currently in the Western playoff spots. I think the Western playoff spots are probably settled, like overwhelmingly likely neither Vegas nor Vancouver is going to kick the door down here. No matter how ajar the Dallas stars are intent on leaving it. Um, those games matter, too. The Canucks are going to need some help, and they need two points. And so there's three games to watch closely, monitor, follow tonight. All of them, you know, not equally important because, again, those two points matter most. Vancouver's performance matters most. But if Vancouver wins and both those other teams win, Dallas and L.A. both win, it's kind of pyrrhic, right? Like, yeah. it kind of doesn't move the needle for this team. They, they need to win and. They need to win and. And that's why behind the eight ball this time of year. You never want to be behind the eight ball, and the Canucks have serious ground to make up, trailing playoff spot by, you know, I think it's four points behind Dallas and five behind L.A. with very little runway remaining.
0: Yeah, and as much as if you're rooting for the Canucks, you like that Dallas has a, a brutally tough matchup on the second half of a back-to-back in Calgary, you know, that's outweighed or, or at least balanced out by the fact that the Canucks have their own very t- uh, tough matchup against Minnesota, and then, of course, they got to go and play that same Calgary team on Saturday as well. I do love uh, I love
1: cupcakes keep coming for LA. For LA like, yeah. LA's
0: getting more cupcakes than yeah. a bridal shower order. Yeah, you know that... what I
1: mean? Like It's just a parade of, of LA Kings cupcakes.
0: That always looked like it was going to be their saving grace right? Even if their goaltending didn't necessarily figure it out which based on Jonathan Quick's performance in their last game it, it has started to uh, and it's playing out that way. That the cupcake schedule is really going to do the job ultimately for LA at the end of the season. I love Canucks Cupcakes
1: fans. are delicious. Yes, they
0: are. They sure are, Durant. You You're absolutely <laughs> right about that.
1: Not for Canucks fans, not right now though. No. Not no, when it they, comes to LA.
0: They wish LA would go on a bit of an anti cupcake diet or something, but they're they're not gonna do that. <laughs> they're not gonna have to do that until the playoffs at this point. And neither am I. Yes, that's right. Um I, you know, I threw it out there. Canucks fans, text in 650-650. What are you feeling? What are you? What's your prediction for how tonight is going to go? And we've had so many almost identical answers come in, and they're all a very particular brand of Canucks fatalism and pessimism. So this one started it off unsigned. Come on, you guys have watched enough Canucks to know that this is an auto-win. They'll win out until Seattle, lose that game. And miss the playoffs. Another one comes in. I could see that. Yeah, I
1: could see that. That's a very Canucksy. That's a very Canucksy narrative that that listener has has built. I'm buying into that. And I think that could
0: happen. Torgy says, uh, they come through tonight. If they crash, it'll be next week. Tonight's a 3-1 win. And Pablo texts in, Canucks are going to play incredibly well tonight and win 4-2. They will then beat the Flames. Playoff hopes will be alive and well. Then they will lay an egg against the Kraken, and the season <laughs> will be over. Everyone everyone thinks the Kraken ended. I love that. Everyone Canucks is fans, on the same page here. Everyone is on we the need,
1: same page. We need a resurgence Of Canucks fan gallows humor. I don't know where it went. It's upsetting to me that it's disappeared. If you have if you don't watch Canucks games half wincing, I don't think you've been watching Canucks games for long enough. Like that's my basic equation. Um, You know, it's like it's like you think about the West Coast Express era team that ties the game with seven seconds left right and then it's marty jelena the best player that the team had in some of the leanest years of in franchise history in the late 90s that crushes them like 90 seconds in a bouncing puck that just barely gets by alex ald i mean pain is so central to the identity of canucks fans we've lost that fatalism these texts give me life like the, these texts of of Wincing Canucks fans, like everyone who texted in saying they're going to beat these two great teams and then lose to the upstart, super disappointing, completely woeful Seattle Kraken. Like those are those are the Canucks fans that I grew up with. That's what I relate to. I love that. Like, good for you guys. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that you guys have clearly been watching thirty years worth of this of this franchise. It's great.
0: The uh, the gallows humor alive and well in the 650 Dunbar Lumber text line because that's that's immediately where everyone's mind went to as oh yeah these ones the t- two of the top teams in the conference yeah no problem it's the Kraken that you really got to w- watch out for uh, when they come to Vancouver next week I wanted to read this one as well from Mike he says the Canucks are better against grinding teams than run and gun teams example Detroit Buffalo Ottawa etc so he likes them a bit better than we're giving them a chance tonight and look, I, he's right by the way. He, he's- right
1: about the grinding versus
0: uh run and gun teams it, i mean that's true but but Minnesota's also fast. Well that's, like, the, that's thing. the problem is with Min- Minnesota. The, the the reason that Minnesota has built themselves into such an imposing team going into the playoffs is they are not just and I say quote unquote just, you know, this isn't the Dallas Stars who can play, you know, heavy hockey or and and slow things down and kind of muck it up but don't have nearly the punch to really instill that fear in you. This is a team that yeah, they've got a lot of size, they've got a lot of toughness on the roster, but I mean, you just look at who they're playing on the wing in their top six right now, and it's Kaprizov, Zuccarello, Fiala, and Matt Boldy, who's come into the league as a rookie this year and immediately producing at an extremely high rate. I mean, that's a tremendous top-four winger uh, setup to have for the Minnesota Wild. So it, it, that's the challenge for the Canucks, is that, yeah, they have been able to sustain pretty good performances against the bigger, heavier teams in the league this, this year, but Minnesota's kind of a unique mix of... Both things, and it, it's going to be really fascinating for me to watch tonight how the Canucks are able to manage that speed of Minnesota, based on how they performed, at, you know, against Formenton in in certain spots in uh, against Ottawa on Tuesday. But I also think a real key. For the Canucks tonight, and you just look at how the the wild are lining up. And even with a few guys out of the lineup right now, right? You know, Greenway, I think Feligno's in COVID protocol, uh, Tyson Jost is injured, they still have a lot of impressive depth. But if there's one area other than in goal with Thatcher Demko, if there's one area you would say the Canucks have a significant advantage on the ice, it would be in the middle in the top six, right? That that's kind of the one area you look at with Minnesota, and I know Ryan Hartman's having a great season, right? And uh, Freddie Gaudreau can do some things as well, but you you Big would take Freddie Gaudreau, yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you could you would take. I think it's pretty safe to say, uh, again, using understatement uh, for for emphasis there, Drancer, that you would take J.T. Miller and Elias Pettersson over those two guys. And I think if the Canucks, are gonna, uh, yeah. if the Canucks are going to have a chance tonight, I think those two players. Miller and Pedersen, look, they all, the Canucks always need those guys to be near the top of their game. But in particular, where you have that clear-cut advantage down the middle, I think those two really, really need to step up and not just score, not just produce, but play that effective two-way game and control play as well. Yeah, and I mean,
1: yeah, no Dumba, no Yost, no Greenway, no Foligno.
0: Uh, that's a
1: relatively big hill to climb. For the Minnesota Wild. And the Canucks have absences too. But that's the point. Everyone has absences at this time of year. And there's a ton to get into in terms of comparisons between the Wild and the Canucks. One one name to watch. One, one player to watch for me tonight is Matthew Boldy. Now, Boldy is wicked fast, super skilled, right? But he is not Vasily Podkolzin. In terms of his strength and ability to play a heavy game. That's why he was drafted after Vasily Podkolzin in the same draft year. Boldy, if you look at the counting stats, has outperformed Vasily Podkolzin to this point in the season. And yet, you know, one of the players that can match the type of sandpaper and speed and and up-and-down 200-foot game that the Wild are going to play is Vancouver's rookie... Russian-born forward. And I think it's an interesting analogy to look at Pod Colson and Boldy. They're the same age, the same, same draft, draft class. class Boldy yep. has better better numbers this year, and yet you ask around, and I don't think there's anyone who's taking Boldy ahead of Pod Colson in a redraft because... Of all the stuff that Pod Colson can do that we watch and love and that is particularly crucial for this Canucks team tonight against the Minnesota Wild. That's like one little subplot to watch for. Um, if Pod Colson can have the type of aggressive, you know, ruthless, heavy game that he played against the Ottawa Senators tonight, that's a huge leg up for the Canucks because the Canucks need a bunch of guys to step up and play that way tonight, right? It can't just be Luke Shen. Against Nicholas Delorier <laughs> and, the, and the mean, lean, mean Minnesota Wild, right? I mean, it needs to be a group effort, and it was when the Canucks last played in Minnesota and earned a, a really hard-earned point on the second game of a back-to-back on the road. Um, the Canucks are going to need everybody to step up, but Vasily and I'd like to see him lead the charge here. I think this is a big test for a player who's peaking at the right time. Um, and whose game is particularly well suited to this environment. That matchup, that, that sort of matchup within a game, that Pod Colson versus Boldy, I think that's a good thing to watch and a good thing to think about, particularly because Pod Colson's value in this league, as he matures, as he comes into his own, which he's doing right in front of our own eyes, is going to be based off of more than scoring. And I feel like you could get a showcase of exactly that
0: this evening. In this match, P- Pud Colson definitely feels like the player for the Canucks that would most seamlessly slide into the Minnesota lineup right now. Right, like he seems like a perfect fit for the way they play the game. Just oh, another guy who's pretty big, can skate, but could also has a lot, also has a lot of high end skill, uh, and can and can make plays. You know, in addition to bringing that toughness, he really does seem like that. Style of player. It's interesting what you said about, you know, just based on kind of opinion around the league, would Boldy go ahead of Vasily Pod Colson? And, and probably not. Probably you would still take Pod Colson. Of course, he was drafted 10th by Vancouver. Uh, Boldy went just two picks later, 12th to Minnesota in that 2019 draft, uh, which is still a fascinating draft for me, by the way. That was the one that was here in Vancouver. And that's pretty high praise when you think about it because Boldy has. I mean, he's he's at 35 points in 41 games as a rookie, right? Like, he is coming in and lighting the lamp on a regular basis and really performing. And I think that says a lot both about the steps that Vasily Podkolzin has taken late in the season to really show that, you know, he has that legit top six scoring upside. But also, as you said, the continued emphasis even as speed and skill become so much more important in the nhl and undersized players are getting more opportunities there's still a recognition and a and an emphasis from teams to make sure you have a certain amount of what facility pod calls and brings that hard skill uh, to use a, a phrase that i know travis green was fond beef. of when he was here yeah that beef it's beef and it's it's interesting that not that, you know, who knows? Maybe down the road, Vasily Podkolzin could come close to the scoring of Matthew Boldy. But when you just look at their stats now, Boldy is far ahead of him in that category. It's very interesting to me that the other things that Podkolzin does is still enough to kind of outweigh the gap in output between the two players and and make him the more intriguing player from a league-wide perspective.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a credit to the maturity in his game and... I, a testament, too, to the fact that, you know, you're not selling jeans. This is a speed game these days. Uh, undersized players were undervalued for far too long, and the new NHL is trending toward them uh, in a meaningful way and in a way that's going to be durable and last. And, in fact, every year it looks like there's an arms race within the NHL to get faster and faster and faster. And for all of that, what Vasily Podkolzin can do still matters. Now... It's not divorced, however, from the fact that Facilipod Colson can do all of that at
0: pace right, right? like that's that's a key factor he, here He can and, keep up and he can make plays as well on top of that other stuff well and that's a key factor in
1: you know what the wild do too right This is not just a a, a lineup of Coke machines right this is a lineup of Coke machines that skate really fast and also can score <laughs> it's it's a tough tough opponent for the Vancouver Canucks tonight and you look we got a text in um you know he had some tough plays last game but I feel like it's been under discussed how effective Will Lockwood has looked speaking of speed much better puck handler than I realize that's unsigned but that's a text coming in I I just want to quickly before we go to break talk about the Abbotsford Canucks are on a seven game win streak right they won last night um over San Diego and they did it with Two forwards in their top nine on PTOs, right? A defenseman in their top four on a PTO, their backup goaltender was on a PTO, and Jet Wu was playing wing, okay? so uh, And so actually, they had two defensemen playing forwards, so they played eight defensemen last night and ten forwards, and they won their seventh straight game. They're doing this with Sheldon Dries up on the NHL roster, Will Lockwood up on the NHL roster, Nick Patan up on the NHL roster. You know, penciled in before the season, you would have thought the Abbotsford Canucks top pair would have been something like Brady Keeper and Brad Hunt or Brad Hunt and and um, Kyle, Burrows. Kyle Burrows. Yeah, obviously, obviously, none of those defensemen have played a single game for Abbotsford for a variety of different reasons. Uh, it's a It's honestly amazing that the Abbotsford Canucks are peaking at the right time the way that they are. Having won seven in a row, they're up to third in the Pacific Division. And you're seeing the fruits of that investment pay off as the Canucks have gotten these performances from Sheldon Dries, right? As they've been able to play throughout a stretch in which they've had significant forward injuries. Now, about to say that this team has enough depth or even close to it, they don't, Right? There's a, a big need for additional skill and speed and quality in Vancouver's bottom six. But the Canucks went out and spent a ton with the Abbotsford Canucks coming to the Fraser Valley this summer. And as a result, right, they took more swings than we've typically seen them take on players like Kyle Burroughs, who ended up paying off on the NHL roster. Brad Hunt, same story, but also Sheldon Drys, Sheldon Rempel Um, You know, Nick Patan, some quad A guys, some guys who are hurt right now, Phil DiGiuseppe, on and on down the list. And all of a sudden, toward the end of the season, when the Canucks have had to call guys up, they had meaningful contributors in the lineup. Guys who've helped them, you know, significantly as they've streaked, you know, keeping their playoff hopes alive. Now, if the season had gone differently, right? This is a stretch that maybe you were in Dallas's position, right? Maybe you're maybe you're in a stretch where you're just holding on. Like, these types of players play such an important role. Vancouver, when they had the Abbotsford team, or sorry, the Utica team, in Utica, not only was it not as luxuriously invested in as the Abbotsford Canucks are this season, but it was harder to get guys up and down. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was far more confusing. Guys were far more um, out of sight, out of mind. You are already seeing at the NHL level some of the benefits, right, that come from operating like a have team at the American League level, right? Like there are tangible benefits. And though it hasn't translated yet into helping the Canucks recruit college players, um, and it might not. The, the fact is is that if you have a world-class AHL team, if you have the Marlies, you get to attract the best coaching talent. You get to attract the best you know, college free agents, CHL free agents. It's an edge in that area. And then if you spend down there, you accrue a durable year-over-year competitive advantage by having a higher floor when players get injured and go down. Now, we've, we've heard Patrick Alvin. We've heard Jim Rutherford talk about the importance of... Uh, of the HL team but already like even before they came in just the level of investment that was spent down in Abbotsford has paid off has has showed itself has mattered for this team down the stretch this season and I hope that's a big lesson regardless of how the Abbotsford Canucks perform in the playoffs and I'm here to tell you that I think they could do really well particularly if the Canucks miss and they get you know pod Colson Patan. and Lockwood yep. and Patan and, and Dries just airdropped into that lineup. I mean, that could really be something. It could be a pretty exciting couple of months of hockey in, in, um, in the Fraser Valley. But, you know, the, the most important part about it is not how they do or, or what how much success they have. It's what we've seen the, the level of depth grafted onto Abbotsford contribute at the NHL level, right? It's, it's the contributions that you're seeing on a night-to-night basis, even if they're not spectacular, from Drys and Lockwood. Even though they're just like workmanlike and fine, that's huge. That's mammoth when you get hit by injuries, as every team does over an 82-game season. The Canucks need to continue to invest and operate their American League affiliate this way and ideally graft some additional... Um, you know, recruiting half done to that, which, which we know has been an Alvin and Rutherford priority, even if we haven't necessarily seen it pay off with uh, a signing other than arshdeep Baines to this point. Um, you know, being really focused on that, continuing to drive that, that'll pay dividends for this
0: team in the years to come it's uh, it raises the floor right as you said it might not be spectacular contributions you're getting from those guys that you call up in place of injury but if it can prevent a rash of injuries from torpedoing your entire season because you're getting at least a baseline performance that has significant value uh, in the world of the nhl and especially for a team like the canucks that deal with so much travel throughout the course of an 82 game season uh Speaking of baseball, Drancer, your Vancouver Canadians are back at the Nat. For tickets or info, visit canadiansbaseball.com. See you at the Nat. And I might see you at the Nat. I actually got my tickets for the game on Saturday just before we went on the air. Uh, Drancer's supposed, to, to, go, supposed to be nice weather. I am fired up. I'm going to take the family. So, hey, if you're at the Nat, come on by. Say hi because it is going to be absolutely Fantastic. But back to hockey. Lots more talk about the Canucks and the Wild coming up on the other side. We'll continue to look at tonight's game, but also some of the very, very interesting links between these two organizations. That's coming up next. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Beefs are delicious. (laughs) Yes, they are. They sure are. You're absolutely (laughs) right about that. Welcome back. It's Canucks Hour Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in on a Canucks game day, 5 o'clock puck drop tonight. Of course, you'll hear it all here. On your home with the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, Batch and Hershey have to call, <laughs> sat and reach, have your pregame, intermission, and postgame coverage. And I did want to get this one, uh, Drancer, in we were talking about Canucks fan gallows humor in the first segment, I, I asked for people's predictions tonight. And almost almost unanimously, it was, oh, they're definitely going to beat the Wild tonight. They'll just lose to the Kraken uh, when they play them <laughs> next week. And Bob and Victoria came in with this These one. These are our
1: listeners. Yeah, yes, Love exactly.
0: It. He took it a step forward. Gallows humor means that Cole Lind will get the Hattie to have the Kraken oh. win big. Yes, if you were thinking three, of Three just, primary assists yeah. from Jared McCann. Ex, extra oh, yeah. ways to twist the knife a little bit, should that go down. <laughs> that that would well, certainly qualify. I like...
1: I like the text that came in that said, quit bashing the Knucks. Let's have a little positivity. I don't think we've ever done a more positive segment than the last one.
0: We were ra- when that text came in. We were raving about Vasily Podkolzin and his development,
1: being better than a guy who's near point per yeah. game as a rookie. <laughs> like, how much more positive can you get? I don't
0: know.
1: <laughs> oh man.
0: So Anyways, good.
1: so good. Let's bash the team now.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. But quick, uh, <laughs> quick, quick, couple quick lineup notes before we get into the uh, the meat of our discussion in this segment. Of course. Thatcher Demko uh, starts in net for the Canucks. Spencer Martin's on the trip with the team. And uh, Alex Chason will be back into the lineup. Although I don't believe Bruce Boudreau tipped his hand on who would be coming out. So it remains to be seen uh, until the Canucks hit the ice in Minnesota Tonight, all right. Before the break, I mentioned some of the the interesting ties between these two franchises, these two organizations at the front office level. And of course, we all remember uh, the saga of Judd Brackett, everyone's favorite Canucks scout, the most most popular Canucks scout in Lafair history. LeFevre Brackett, yes, exactly. And of course, he eventually made his way to take over those duties with the Minnesota Wild. But it's also interesting. Is he, t- is he more popular than Mike Penny? I mean, maybe it's recency bias. I don't know. What do you, What do you I think?
1: Know. Oh, I, I think. I think. Yeah, I mean, I get. I guess so. But I mean, Mike Penny, the Boray stories. Yeah, a that's fair.
0: That's fair. I don't know. So uh, we're, all, we're all prisoners at the moment, I guess, your answer is what I'm saying here. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride for Mike Penny here a little go. bit. Well, maybe we'll put yeah. up a poll. In, in the depths of summer, when we don't have anything to talk about, we can, <laughs> we can do a deep dive into that one. Four votes. No <laughs> one votes. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> little too
1: niche. Yeah. Little too niche, Jamie. Uh, Not sure that's poll question criteria. Yeah. Judd Brackett <laughs> is now the director of amateur scouting for the Minnesota Wild. And that's an interesting tie, right? I mean, for a variety of reasons, Um, you know, his fingerprints are in conjunction with the past regime, uh, you know, all over an awful lot of decisions that this club made in terms of amateur scouting. And in particular, the club's success out of Boston and the USHL, right? Which were, I mean, he was a USHL area scout for a while. uh, And of course is, you know, from Cape Cod, from the Boston area. And when you look at the success that the Canucks had, particularly in his tenure as director, out of those areas. Uh, although, I guess you could go a little bit before it, too, right? I mean, when he was uh, deeply involved in the USHL, had just come off of building a championship team, you know, the Canucks had a massive amount of success with Besser, Goddett, Lockwood, all out of that USHL league. And then, as director, of course, you know, uh, former, former Cape Cod whalers like Aidan McDonough and Jack Rathbone. Not, not really hard to draw a direct line and uh, figure out exactly who was really high on those guys. Um, you know, Hoagland or Pod Colson, uh, on and on down the list. 2017, 18, 19 were three really strong classes before he departed the organization. Um, so, yeah, there's a, certainly an interesting link there and certainly a variety of young Canucks players. Um, young Canucks players who, you know, would would were clearly rated pretty highly at one point or another by the former Canucks director.
0: And the other interesting link, or there's a couple of them, but of course, both general managers, Bill Guerin in Minnesota and Patrick Alvine, are disciples of uh, Jim Rutherford and worked together with the Pittsburgh Penguins. All three of them worked together in Pittsburgh, and then of course. Uh, Bruce Boudreau was the head coach of the Minnesota Wild previous to Dean Evason, and Dean Evason is a Bruce Boudreau disciple, who's a longtime assistant coach for Boudreau. So there's a lot of similarities there, and I find the one between the the, the link uh, and the commonalities between Bill Guerin and Patrick Alvine to be particularly interesting because. I think Bill Guerin has kind of rapidly risen up the people's top GMs in the league lists. Like, I, there's a lot to like about what he's done with the Minnesota Wild, and obviously you see how they're playing this year and the quality of the team he's built. And there's a reason that he's getting a lot of credit. But I, I don't want to say, oh, you know, they're both uh, they're both Jim Rutherford guys, so that means they'll they'll operate in the same manner. But I'm curious to get your sense of is there anything do you think we can learn about? You know, guys from the Jim Rutherford tree and Bill Guerin specifically that we might be able to apply uh, to Patrick Alveen here in Vancouver.
1: Well, the first thing to know about Alveen and Guerin is that they're very close, right? This isn't just they work together. They were good friends, right? Uh, Garen gives Alveen a ton of credit for introducing him to some of the nuances of, of European hockey. Um, you know, hosting him when he'd go over to scout or watch European players during his time with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, They were close friends to the point that Guerin tried to hire him when he became the general manager of the Minnesota Wild. And Rutherford promoted Alvin to assistant general manager. He became an assistant general manager as a defensive move because Rutherford didn't want to lose what Patrick had brought in Pittsburgh. So... This is not just a situation where they rubbed elbows together in some hockey operations boardrooms and that's that. There's a close personal relationship, close enough, in fact, that Garen wanted Alvin to be among his lieutenants when he got a chance to run his own shop in Minnesota. So, is there anything we can learn from how Garen has operated in Minnesota versus how how Alvin might, might like to as he... Begins to put his stamp on this Canucks organization. I'd say yes. Although, you know, we're still only a couple of years into Garen's tenure in Minnesota. And I don't know that we've seen, um, you know, a ton of really big moves. Uh, If we look through the Garen's tenure to this point, right? We see a lot of inherited contracts. For example, like Matt Zuccarello, that's inherited, Right. The Fiala trade, he inherited that. Felino was already there, but he extended him. Um, the deal for the centerman, Yoel Eriksson-Eck, that is a uh, Bill Guerin extension. Um, so, so so what we've really seen is him prioritize getting deals done at a relatively affordable clip early with guys like Hartman, Greenway, Felino, Yoel Eriksson-Eck, Obviously, the Kirill Kaprizov uh, um, five-year deal, that's, you know, one that uh, that Garen did. So we've seen him do those, um, and Brodine. So we've seen him really be aggressive in locking up his guys. I don't know how much we can learn from, you know, Garen in turn and apply it to Alvin from that. It sort of matches what we saw, Rutherford's club do in Pittsburgh but the pressure on Minnesota is so different so unique relative to every other team in the league because of the ballsiest decision that Bill Guerin has made as GM which was to buy out Parise and Sutter and make no mistake the buyouts of Parise and Sutter which by the way they're going to be navigating a 12.7 million dollar cap hold because of those buyouts for 2022-23 then $14.7 million for two seasons from 2023 through to the end of the 2024-25 campaign. So that was a massive commitment to buy those guys out. And those moves were entirely 100% done to shake up the room and change up the culture around the team. And hard to argue with the returns in the first season, but the cap hold that they're going to be navigating jumps three times next year and, and four and almost uh, three and a half times the year after. Right. So, um, you know, it's easy to say it worked right now when the cap holds 4.7, it's a very different thing when you're looking at 12.7 beginning next season and then 15 million roughly for two years thereafter. We'll see how the club, how Garen and company are able to bridge that gap. They're going to need a lot of affordable labor. And a lot of the deals that I think we've seen Garen do, some of those $3 million deals here, $2 million deals here, uh, You know, the Tyson-Yost uh, trade, for example, right? $2 million this year yeah. and next. Trading sort of a slightly better player, in my opinion, in Nico Sturm. But he was a pending UFA. He was going to be more expensive than two. Flip it. Make sure you get a player who's comparable for this season and helps you next, right? They've had to operate in this sort of completely different world than other nhl teams as a result so you know we've seen them trade for jacob middleton who's an rfa with arbitration rights he might be a non-tender candidate considering their cap crunch if they can't move money out elsewhere um you know john merrill and alex goligosky and dmitry kulakov bargain bin shopping with with deals that last beyond one year right deals that last multiple years um a lot of that matches some of what we've seen from Rutherford and Alvin in the past, particularly the bargain bin shopping on the, on the defense core. right? That was sort of a core tenant of the cup winning teams that they ran together in Pittsburgh. So I suppose there's some faint echoes there, but I think the big picture takeaway, the big thing that Garen did in Minnesota, that Rutherford did in Pittsburgh, and that we'll have to wait and see if the Vancouver Canucks do um, under Rutherford and Alvin once we get into this offseason and they begin to really change the, the look and feel of this club is huge, ballsy deals right off the hop with the culture of the mm-hmm. room and the feel of the of the room at the forefront of their minds. So we're talking about the James Neal trade in Pittsburgh for for Patrick Hornfist, a deal that at the time... People looked at and sort of were like, really? Like, James Neal's a 40-goal scorer. What? Right? Uh, But that deal was done because the club wanted to shake up how they conducted themselves as professionals uh, within that organization. The Parise and Suter buyouts, same logic. The Travis Hamanick trade, Patrick Alvin's first major trade, first major transaction as general manager of the Canucks, probably fits into that. But could we see more changes with that type of direction in mind? That's really the big question that I have when I compare Garen's body of work in Minnesota to Alvin's, you know, potential body of work as he begins to, you know, stretch his legs in the, in the big chair in Vancouver. That's really the big question that I have.
0: Yeah, and it, it's fascinating evaluating what Bill Garen has done, because as you said, it's not like he's made a ton of moves, but... He also has probably, you know, one of the biggest, most monumental, most surprising, gutsy, ballsy, whatever you want to call it, decisions in recent NHL history on his record in the Parise uh, and Suter bio. those are like earth-shaking, franchise-altering uh, decisions by Bill Guerin and there's no analogous situation, right, for the Canucks. Like, I I don't think we're sitting here saying, and that means, you know, Patrick Alvin is going to try to buy out some players on big tickets this summer. That's not what we're talking about here. But I just – I think the process and the reasoning behind the decision – is interesting, and if you've listened to uh, Sportsnet insider Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts or his appearances on uh, on the Jeff Merrick show talk about Patrick Alvin, you know, he's made the point a few times that his kind of read on Alvin is, you know, plays it pretty close to the vest, very details-oriented, does a lot of preparation, gets all the information— but once he has all that information, he's not afraid of sticking to his guns and making a bold move. And that kind of general framework for how uh, uh, somebody operates seems to, from the outside, apply to the prese and Suter buyouts to me as well. And so, again, there's no direct one-to-one comparison for a move that the the Canucks could can make this summer. But I do think, one, as you said, the willingness to prioritize culture, right? If you have players that you don't think... Fit the type of culture you're trying to build, do whatever it takes to move on from them and get new guys in. That's evident there. But also, just in general, a willingness to make really, really big decisions, to to stick your neck out and make tremendously difficult decisions that a lot of general managers traditionally in the NHL have not had a willingness to do. And when you start to think of it in that framework, right? Not just buying out overpriced veterans, but just a willingness to be bold. Well, then there's no shortage of options that the Canucks could pursue in the off season, right? And we've talked about them at length on this station. We'll continue to do so, I'm sure, as we get into the off season. But that's the most interesting kind of comparison or or, or potential lesson you might be able to draw for me is just if you're convinced that it's the right decision, you're you you, you be willing to do it. Be willing to stick your neck out. Yeah. Be willing to stick to be your guts. decisive. Gun. Yeah. Be decisive. Exactly.
1: For sure. And. You know one other thing to bring up, right, so because the wild have this twelve point seven million dollar penalty, this dead cap buyout penalty, and uh, we got a text. I just want to address this quickly um, he said didn 't Garen also cite crippling cap recapture ramifications when discussing the buyouts he did. But make no mistake, that was a secondary consideration. Besides, you know, a secondary consideration right. to the cultural impact of executing those buyouts on a couple of veterans who had huge weight within an organization. That you know, as Garen analyzed what was what he had inherited, he decided that it was underachieving on a perpetual basis, and, and made a move to stem that, change it. Uh, that was the that was the primary consideration. It was mostly a cultural move. Now. One thing to keep in mind about the Wild and the Canucks, uh, obviously deep relationships there, right? We know that the Wild have a director of amateur scouting who had a hand in you know, uh, selecting, finding, mm-hmm. identifying, rating some of the talent that the Canucks have at, within their relatively atrophied prospect pipeline, right? And... The way that the cap works, right? So the Wild will be up against the eighty-two point million upper limit of the salary cap with that $12.7 million factored in next season. But if they're to acquire a contract that was to go on LTI, they'd then be able to exceed the cap by $3.5 million, for example. Like, just to pull a number out at random that happens to match the exact cap hit on Michael Furlan's deal, for example, mm-hmm. right? So... There is a workaround, a cap workaround for a deep pocketed team that's traditionally not afraid to spend. Should they go out and target some teams that have Furland like, you know, LTI retired contracts on their books? um, You wonder if there's a fit there this offseason. I'd certainly, I'd certainly monitor, like, I'd put that as like a situation to monitor uh, very closely. Could I see a Canucks wild deal based around, you know, the wild trying to shed some salary while taking on an LTI deal? I could, particularly because shedding the Furland deal would open up a ton of avenues for the Canucks to navigate the cap in very interesting ways in season, particularly given that their American League affiliate is so close. Um, there's a ton of interesting options uh, to toll daily space throughout the season that would open up for this team if they off of furland's deal it only has one year remaining the salary drops to 2.75 there's no team that could use a deal like that on their books as much as the minnesota wild and we know that there are deep relationships there if i was to sort of identify one situation to watch between these two teams this offseason
0: that would be number one with a bullet on my list and the two teams will meet tonight on the ice in minnesota another massive must-win test for the Canucks, with only five games remaining in their regular season schedule. Again, puck drops at 5 o'clock. Canucks Central with Satyar Shaw and Dan Riccio is coming up next. They're, they'll have your official pregame starting at 4 as well. And Drancer, you and I will be back at our regular time. Thank you to everyone who tweeted and texted asking where we were at noon today. We will be back on the air at noon tomorrow to break it all down and get you set for the weekend's action against Calgary as well. Thanks for listening. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.